The last Why Atlanta conversation explored the importance of community. In this episode, Step by Step, we illustrate Atlanta as a North Star for ecosystem building, providing the structure to scale for all types of entrepreneurs and all types of entrepreneurship. Atlanta's history, diversity, and our unparalleled assets in talent, technology, culture, and most importantly, leadership get the spotlight in Step by Step. Step by Step showcases the leaders advocating for preparation, resources, and networks, while creating an ecosystem that ensures female founders can gain traction and compete on the global stage. Why Atlanta is pleased to welcome the Southeast influencer in startup ecosystems building. I met Amy Love when she led the technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship efforts for Invest Atlanta. There, she leveraged Invest Atlanta's resources to support a robust innovation ecosystem where technology companies could launch, scale, and locate in Atlanta. The goal? To create tech talent opportunities and a community impact where everyone can thrive. She's actually spent the last decade focused on technology-based economic development, including at the South Carolina Department of Commerce as the state's first ever Director of Innovation and at the Georgia Institute of Technology Advanced Technology Development Center, the ATDC, where she grew statewide program to serve technology startups across Georgia. She holds a master's in PR and journalism from the University of South Carolina and a BA in English from Furman University. Amy is a South Carolina Liberty Fellow and part of the Aspen Global Leadership Network. In her current role at Comcast NBC Universal Boomtown Accelerators, Amy is part of a team driving impact for entrepreneurs in client programs like Sports Tech and Ignite Ideas. Her job is to direct the education elements the core of these programs. And according to Amy, now more than ever, the future needs good ideas from well-prepared entrepreneurs. I was able to talk with Amy about the Ignite Ideas initiative and how it helps to find scope for early entrepreneurial ventures with both purpose and aligner. How important it is to refine an idea before launching your business. What a mapping strategy looks like. We talk about fear. We also talk about dreams, goals, happy places, and magical exercises. And why Ignite Ideas chose Atlanta to prototype and develop this initiative. Just to frame it up, Amy Love, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? I want them to understand the breadth of your perspectives that you bring to this work because you're not from Atlanta and I think that you are a world traveler, but can you give a kind of a brief overview of, of how we were able to receive you here in Atlanta? I love thinking of <laughs> it that way. I did make a pretty huge leap over the border from South Carolina into Georgia. And landed in this like, metropolitan hub that is the city that never sleeps. What is it? The too busy to hate. Atlanta influences everything. Yep. Atlanta is for dreamers. Yep. Yep. And I don't think I knew all of that or what even to expect, but I came really wide eyed and excited landing right at Tech Square in Midtown. And what a great place to start out your innovation, entrepreneurship, technology journey in, in Atlanta, right there in the hub. So I was very fortunate to start out at Georgia Tech at the Advanced Technology Development Center. 
ATDC. So I did a good bit of community building and supporting entrepreneurs and communities outside of Atlanta. In fact, taking the core curriculum of ATDC and trying to share it with communities outside of Atlanta, like Athens and Savannah and you name it, Macon, Augusta. I really, in a lot of ways, was replicating what I was already doing back home in South Carolina, which is where I'm from, because there I was building out an innovation program for the state. And it took me all over to small, mostly small-ish, medium-sized communities in the state, because that's what South Carolina is made of. And so I think those experiences in small to mid-sized communities really helped me to identify with the communities outside of the metro hub that is Atlanta when I came over to Georgia. And really, the work was very similar in that it was focused on building community and creating access to resources for entrepreneurship service organizations and groups that were supporting entrepreneurs. I'm working with early idea stage entrepreneurs right now in a program for the farm, Comcast the Farm. We talk about how it may seem like you should drop your day job right now and go and launch the stream ambition of yours. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about how that relates to your actual dreams and goals for your life in three to five years. The things that you truly see that are important to you and how you envision your life. How is doing that right now going to impact those dreams and goals and getting people to think in three to five year timeframes? Because that do. <laughs> it's not immediate. You don't become a rock star overnight. Yes, it's, it's, it is a conversation that comes up. One of the first things I ask in a lot of the workshops that we lead is, why do people sit on an idea and never start a business? Why do what do you, you know? get and, from that? And so they go into breakouts and they talk about this for 10 or 15 minutes just to loosen up and get to know every, each other. And they come back a lot with the same things like fear is the first thing they always say. Yeah. They're afraid of failing. They're afraid of losing all their money. They're afraid that someone will not have confidence in them that they thought might have confidence in them. They're afraid that they'll not be able to attain their dream through entrepreneurship. Fear is a big driver, but then they also always mention the fact that there's this fine line because you you can have so much fear that you never get started, or you can just take this huge leap without really thinking it through. So where's that happy place in between? Especially for people who've never started a business before, people who aren't experienced and serial entrepreneurs and just thinking of doing this for the first time. So talking a little bit more about Ignite Ideas, Are there particular frameworks that you see that are really resonating with these founders to help them to find alignment and then maintain it so they can really build a business that can scale? And then the second part of that question is, in your role with NBC Comcast, how you see expanding this on a national level from an education perspective? Because I feel that you're really putting that curriculum in place. We're trying. I think we have to rely a lot on the leadership at Comcast and some of the market needs they're seeing where they're doing business. The Atlanta market is certainly where we're kicking off Ignite Ideas and it's called Ignite Ideas because it's for idea stage aspiring founders. Now, we do have some people coming through who've already started a business and they just have a new idea for one or a new idea for their existing business. But the framework is largely built on thinking through personal life goals, mapping the idea. And then 
using a template to identify the problem you're solving, the customer you're hoping to solve it for, and why you're uniquely qualified to solve it yourself so that you can communicate that out. And then so next phase will be, which we haven't started to run yet, but more what's called customer discovery in our circles, but that what we're probably going to be a little more informal about how we talk about. It's basically socializing your idea with your friends and your family and people that might be your customers and learning to speak about it with confidence and having this template, this statement that you can use to do that. And and then after customer discovery, they'll be like, what could be the customer experience? And we do that a lot even with our accelerator programs. When you're in different phases of the business, you're going to need different frameworks. If you've already got a product and maybe you've got a customer, maybe it's more important for you to focus on customer experience journey and mapping that. But what we're doing with these early idea stage folks is we're asking them to map their idea. And it's like sticky notes, filling in template. And what's interesting is all of the feedback is consistent. I didn't realize how hard it would be to write this down. But I'm really glad that I wrote this down. Yep. And then I was forced to focus my thoughts. Yep. And I actually already had a marketing paragraph. Yep. Now you're asking me to do this and because I'm asking them not to create a pitch. It's not a pitch statement. It's just a clarification of what their idea is, kind of a statement. So an example would be my business idea is to start a pet spa for elderly dogs. The customer is people in West Atlanta who have elderly pets that need grooming. I'm the best person to do this because I have been trained in grooming elderly dogs. You know what? It's very simple, but it's amazing how a lot of people have very complex business concepts and for them to have to simplify it into a template is really hard work, but they're always so glad they did it. And so they'll tell us that they'll say, we just writing this down has been really a magical exercise. And the second piece of feedback we consistently have received is this is the first time I've gone through a program with someone that has asked me to focus on my goals or myself and asked me to look and think about how my idea could fit my life in the future. And if it does, and if it's a good idea for me to launch it. So we actually do three polls in our workshops to say, how are you feeling about your idea? Be honest with yourself. Do you still want to do this? We're not trying to kill anybody's dreams or anything, but we're just trying to say, now that you've had an opportunity to evaluate different aspects of things, we're not saying anything about their idea, really. We're just asking yeah. them to communicate for themselves. We're That's asking right. them to look inward. And then we're also asking them to be honest with themselves and to just communicate. So I get them to read out their statements at the end. And then the last time I did the workshop, I tried a new experiment where I went around and I tried to tell them all what I thought their ideal was based on their statement. And I failed on the couple, but hey, if I can tell you what your idea was after hearing your statement, then you have a good statement. Simple exercises like that, demanding clarity of yourself in your idea and of others. And it's it's a really good exercise, right? To restate how you see the problem and make sure that your messaging is as clear as possible. Amy, I think the part that I love the most about this conversation that we're having is around the mapping because contextually, it's another part of a building block, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what this episode is about step by step and that you can be the next Coca-Cola or MailChimp or Home Depot or NCR for that matter, but you still have to do the work and there's still steps. There's a process. But here in Atlanta, I think you can access some of those steps in a cool way example, Exhibit A, Ignite Ideas. 
So this is my last question for you. Understanding the importance of building blocks and of having processes and putting them in place. Why do you think that NBC Universal Contacts, the fan, why do you think you guys chose Atlanta to launch Ignite Ideas as the first block of this curriculum? We did do a lot of research on the marketplace. In fact, across all of Comcast markets and then did a deep dive here in the Atlanta region and had the existing farm infrastructure in place and the team set up. So it just made sense to start here and there could be plans to expand this program. I think it does have a replicable model to it and could be replicated in other markets. But I'm excited that we are starting it here. And I don't remember the exact statistics, but more than a majority of the participants are women of color in our program. And we did have some men. And then the age is interesting because it's somewhere between 35 and 44 were the majority of the participants wanting to start a small business. And so we're also able to touch communities that are majority community in the city of Atlanta and the region. And so we're able to build a program for the majority of the residents who live here and obviously have told us through our research that they want community and support in the way that they feel they need to get it. And so that's been nice to see that the applicants and the people who choose to participate are falling into that category. I hope that it will continue to grow and evolve and we'll see, won't we? We will uh, we'll see how many land in the WE program. Maybe they'll land in the WE program or maybe we'll be using their products in 20 years to say we knew them when. Okay. I, I'm not surprised to hear that. I think that is a testament to the next phase of success for the city because I think that there's some talent out there that has not yet been revealed or hasn't been showcased. And I think that we're sitting on maybe a gold mine here in Atlanta of some ideas that are being ignited. Atlanta has always been an innovative city and the Black community has built the city and the Black community has innovated longer in this city than any other. So it's really no surprise to me that there's this demand. I think Probably there are more people than the mainstream realizes that that are, have already been mentoring in this space for so long because there's just a long history of it. So I'm not surprised that there's these innovators coming out of the woodwork. They're finding community through a lot of the digital arenas, which is cool. And I also have to say there was a baby in my workshop. Last week, I call it my workshop. I have taken quite a lot of ownership. It's ours. But this, there, there was a guy with his baby literally asleep on in his arms throughout the workshop. And I was like, oh, there's I your future this. entrepreneur. Yep. yep, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. The only way to it is through it. A true template for scalability and confidence. Looking inward, being honest, communicating for clarity. This will lead to impact. With over 15 years of experience in coaching, leading, and educating in multicultural communities, Blanca Carolina Garcia has led award-winning incubation programs focused on Black and Latino women-led tech companies, including with Walker's Legacy, Goody Nation, and Digital Undivided. 
She is the CEO and founder of BCG Innovation, an innovation program design consultancy. Blanca has helped thousands of entrepreneurs and innovators across the Southeast of the U.S. start, launch, and fund their entrepreneurial ventures. She's helped dozens of organizations and companies innovate from within and become more human-centered. And she's engaged with over 50 teams and groups to collaborate more effectively and heal communication gaps. At the time of this conversation, Blanca was one of the MBDA at ATDC Startup Catalyst at the Advanced Technology Development Center of Georgia Tech. She is currently serving as Assistant Director for Inclusive Excellence for Eckerd College in Tampa, Florida. Blanca speaks English, Spanish, French, and Portuguese, having grown up in both Chile and the U.S. Blanca Catalina Garcia is dedicated to increasing equity, space, and resources for BIPOC Latinx entrepreneurs and emerging leaders. Her origin story is a great example of that thread between a personal, purposeful mission that drives impactful business goals. In our discussion, Blanca shares with us how she uses her multicultural experience to create community connections, and also how she uses it to build bridges between bubbles. We're able to deeply explore her work, which actively advocates to create spaces and entrepreneurship ecosystems for women to be seen and heard. We talk about what that infrastructure looks like in a nonprofit setting, in a university or research setting. We talk about performative inclusivity. And we talk about strategies to create space for yourself. Lastly, we talk about why. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came into this work and why it's important to you? Thanks for asking that question. I really had to think about it. And I don't think I really figured that out until very recently. And when I talk about building bridges, sometimes I think a lot of us can relate to having a zigzagging career. I've done this, I've done that. Wherein we may have grown up where it's like you had this idea of you're going to have this straight path through an industry or field. And that's just not how it's played out for me. And so when I was thinking about that, I really had to go back to my origin story and thinking about what it was like for me to grow up living back and forth between Chile and the United States and feeling very much like for the majority of my childhood and youth, I was in the in-between. So people call it third culture kids. Although I would say that third culture kid, I may have had a very specific experience around that because a lot of times we were struggling to figure things out. And sometimes it was just a question of navigating, not just being in different countries and in different cultures at home, but also just trying to figure out how to be, how to survive, how to find my place and my purpose. So this bridge building came from that experience. It came first from a survival strategy of being in places where I didn't really belong and figuring out how to be in a space and identify what is the culture, what are the values, who are the important people in this given community, and what could be my place there. And I think before I would think, okay, how do I bring value and how do I just fit in somehow? And the recent work that I've been doing has come a parallel to an internal shift for me where I'm less about how do I squeeze myself into the space that's been given to me and more about how do I make space for my voice, for my experience and make that present and known and make that part of the culture. So contribute to the culture, contribute to the values, contribute to what's important in that given community. 
you may look and see I've done a lot of different things, in particular in the last five years, really on entrepreneurial education and empowerment, primarily focused on women and women of color. But it's really been about that. It's about saying, I want to step into spaces and I want to change those spaces because I'm there. I want people to take away your best practice. I want people to be able to understand the work a little bit better and not the work that they see for the accolades, the work that that you probably garnered from your own personal experience. Why is it that certain spaces or organizations, industries that maybe traditionally, historically have not been as inclusive or have not demonstrated diversity, they're not attracting or retaining women, diverse people. Why is that? Especially if the intentions have changed, if there's intentionality and thoughtfulness around that. I'm primarily focused as part of the MBDA, the Minority Business Development Agency. I'm focused on minoritized founders, so entrepreneurs that are BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, people of color, and also on women. And when you look at the way that has been historically done, when you enter, so for example, a male-dominated space like tech, what does a woman or a person of color do? They figure out a way to assimilate to whatever is the archetype of the expected person that's supposed to be there. You squeeze yourself into that, that shape as much as you possibly can. And that's the rule. It's like you come in, we'll let you in if you study tech or you check off these boxes. This is the kind of company that you're building. This is how you think about it. This is how you present yourself. This is the language that you use. And all of that is still true. But what we know now and what we understand through the work of many wonderful activists, researchers, founders, investors that often either are invested or represent women, people of color, is that that is detrimental. It doesn't work. It's almost like you shut down like the very thing that makes you great at what you do. So there's a new movement that is not mine. It's one that we're all a part of in which we start to question what those expectations are. We start to question what it means to be valuable, important, show potential, be worthy of a voice, be worthy of a seat at the table. What does that actually look like? And the reason we do that is not just for the sake of this performative inclusivity. We do that because we understand that if we are in the world of innovation, we must include all voices. We must be able to bring to the table all of the different creators and innovators and thinkers and tinkerers and curious people who solve problems. Why? Because if we only have one archetype, one, one set of rules that really only one part of the population <laughs> can step into easily because that's who they are in the world and in society, then you only have one type of innovation. You only have one point of view. All of that is, is so fascinating to me. What I will say is Georgia Tech is lucky to have you. But now my thought is not every program has a blocker with this understanding and with this passion about what's going on and how to create space and how to, to advocate and drive innovation. So if you are in a program or in a place that doesn't have a blocker that can help create that space for you. How do you as a female founder, as a woman founder, create that space for yourself? What are some tactics or strategies that you think women need to use in these spaces? Yeah, that's a great question because it's 
it is the actual challenge. The reality is that most spaces are actually putting the onus and the burden on female founders, not just to create and grow fantastic companies that are economically viable and innovative, but also to disrupt the industries that they're in from the standpoint of their presence as women there. That's really the biggest challenge. And this is something that I just get really excited about because this is where a lot of the work that I do was born from, which is how do you do that? So the first for me, in my opinion, is you have to have a community around you. So you build a network of mentors, champions, fellow founders that look like you, that resonate with your experience. Why is that important? Many founders have communities around their industry, around the type of product or a service that they're developing, that sort of exists. So why would you seek out, say, other women founders or mentors that are women? Or why would you create that sort of affinity group? Because the truth is that the path that is laid out for the most part in the industries and the fields that we're in, it's not going to look the same for you. And it's really important as human beings for us to be able to be in connection with other people who have seen the same challenges because that shared knowledge, that person who's just a couple steps ahead of you, who says, oh, you know, yeah, I tried that. I tried the checklist. It didn't work. I had to write my own map. I had to path this out differently. Having that shared knowledge is so powerful. It's almost like you're creating a brain trust of like, how do I do this as a woman? That's incredibly valuable. That's one but the other is that you have that part of it is that we still have that onus of having to push back. So here's one of the things that I do all the time. And I encourage the founders that I get to work with that I have the privilege and honor of working with and walking with. Question everything. Critically analyze everything that is presented to you. You need to raise funds. Here's what you do. Okay, why? Okay, tell me the process. Why is it like that? Who's really involved in that? Really just break it just for yourself. Because when you do that, mm-hmm. one, you can understand more at more fundamentally how you're going to navigate that because it is going to look different. But two, it gives you the opportunity to ask the questions that people need to be thinking about. A lot of times I've found myself in situations with stakeholders who feel like they have a lot of social power and maybe what's understood is that like they just are going to bulldoze through that process and I don't have the social capital. I don't have the power to move them. And yet I've had the opportunity to sit at a table with them, say it's an investor or say it's a mentor that has high social capital and just ask them the question, why do you do it that way? What does it mean when you say that you have this expectation and you expect to say somebody to be coachable or to bring to the table a validated minimum viable product. Define that for me. What does that actually look like for you? A lot of times they've just never been asked and never really thought about it. And many times when they get to think about it, they think maybe there's some gap in my thinking. I guess I didn't consider it that way. I didn't really dig into that. Let me evolve a little bit on my thinking around that. You're just opening that door. Do you have any piece of parting advice for a woman that are looking into entrepreneurship and considering Atlanta as the place where they will pitch their flag and put their anchor down. I would say find a room 
that resonates with you. So there's so many resources. And there's, of course, Startup Atlanta has a this wonderful ecosystem guide. Now there's even resources where you can say, I'm building this kind of company. I'm at this stage. I, I want to do this and find out who are the movers and shakers. But because Atlanta is so much about relationships, pick a space and show up as you. Connect with the people that you resonate with. Find the people that seem to be doing things that bring you that energy. Introduce yourself. Make that relationship and cultivate it. Cultivate it because that's really how you navigate the Atlanta ecosystem is you find those champions, you find those supporters. And there's so many incredibly talented people with incredible experience who are hanging out at Atlanta Tech Village. They're hanging out at ATDC. They're hanging out at the Russell Center. They're hanging out at Goody Nation. All these different organizations that have events and they're just waiting to meet you so that they can connect you, so that they can support you, so they can give you great advice. So it's really about building those relationships and taking the time. And I'm going to put it just like a, a, a footnote to that. Give yourself the opportunity to really listen so that you can learn from that relationship. A lot of times what happens with founders is you want to talk about your idea and you want to talk about what you're doing. and you, Because for you, you're excited about it and also you want to tell people what you're doing. It gives you a sense of pride, but give yourself the opportunity to ask lots of questions and learn about the people that you're talking to so that when you talk about your idea and you talk about what you're doing and what your next ask is, it fits right into what that person is really excited about, wants to help you with. And so you're building synergy as you are cultivating those relationships. Community, tribe, as I've said to a future guest, find one. Show up. Question everything. Trust yourself and your judgment. And now for the main event, Joey Womack. Joey's life purpose is to equalize social economic disparities in communities all over the world. And his goal is to help 1 billion people by the year 2039. I think he's well on his way. I also think he's one of the godfathers of Atlanta's entrepreneurship ecosystem. Described as a rebel with a cause, at the leading edge of change, Joey was bitten by the entrepreneurial bug in 2002 when he launched DigitalGuestList.com as a graduate student at Florida A&M University. He grew the site to 80,000 subscribers and users and advertised thousands of events for Fortune 500 companies, agencies, and high-profile promoters during special events like NBA All-Star, Super Bowl, and Essence Festival. He also used innovative digital marketing strategies to execute events in the Southeast for well-known brands such as Chirac and Warner Brothers. Part startup coach, part super connector, he's the founder of Giddy Nation, a tech nonprofit that empowers everyone to play a role in using innovation to reduce disparities in education, environmental sustainability, financial health, financial access, wellness, and safety. He's also founder of Amplify for Good, a mission-driven agency that uses rapid problem solving to help large companies, nonprofits, and government agencies create social impact. Since founding in 2014, he's led Amplify for Good to a cumulative potential impact of 400 plus million people by working with the likes of Care USA, 
Google, Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport, Cox Communications, United Negro College Fund, Be the Match, and Coca-Cola Scholars Foundation. Evident is a Hive Global Leader, inaugural White House Demo Day invitee, outstanding Atlanta alumnus, an awesome Atlanta Foundation Board of Trustee member. Joey is trying to equalize socioeconomic disparities in communities around the world as his life's purpose. He received his master's from FAMU in spring 2003, where he was also initiated into Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Joey has been named one of the top 40 under 40 alumni and received an outstanding alumni during FAMU's Quasquincentennial, that's 125th anniversary celebration. Let's welcome Joey to the conversation. So I think of Betty Nation as one of the premier Atlanta startups, maybe one of our unicorns early days. And you guys have really been able to scale. You as a leader of that and Amplify for Dead. Most recently, I'm seeing you ring the bell at the NASDAQ for opening of Hispanic Heritage Month. But I guess I'd like you to kind of open up and talk about how preparation resources and network have helped Betty Nation scale and help you scale as an entrepreneur. From a preparation standpoint, oftentimes we tell the founders in our program at Goody Nation, there's opportunity or there's lack thereof, but there's no excuse for you not being prepared. We think that good leaders have a good sense of what their top priority and goals are at all times. And so imagine if you're at a party and maybe you got a little bit too much to drink, I don't know. But someone asks you, what are your top priorities and goals? You should be able to say it, right? And so from a, a preparation standpoint, if that's the kind of spirit of the question, I have to eat the same advice we give the founders. You have to always think about what we're planning on for the next at least two quarters. And what makes it difficult in the last two or three years, if we've done this shift between being chaotic as a country, and as a world, and then being complex. And so if you're an entrepreneur, if you're running an organization that supports entrepreneurs, it's been difficult to do that, but we still have to do our best to be prepared. From a resource standpoint, I have been blessing this world with a number of different things, which include access to a lot of great people. My mother's like a human LinkedIn. And I, I was thinking about this today, not the first job that she had and that, that I remember, but I, it was a second one. She basically does what you do, Monica, but she did it out of a university, a community college in Mobile, Alabama. So my first time I ever introduced her to a computer at her office, setting the stage for the gift first mentality and to help entrepreneurs really came from her. And again, she knows a lot of people. I've seen it. I saw it every day in my life of she intuitively would look at one person and say, okay, you need to meet somebody else. I think I've taken that on someone naturally. And it does lead me to having a lot of access to people. Some of those people have access to funding and so on and so forth, which has helped me in my journey as an entrepreneur and as someone who has a good nation. But that being said, the reality is that, again, these last few years have been chaotic and complex at, at, at times. And so still looking for the resources that we need to achieve the goals that we have as an organization. First of all, the preparation is the resource, right? That's, yeah. right. My, my, that's my, my, my catchphrase for the fall is the way to it is through it. So if you're prepared, then the resources are going to come to you. Right. And then the resource is the network. Like they all build on each other. I definitely want to pick up off of the work that your mom did and how it's prepared you on these three points. Because I think as a part of your, your origin story, leadership and workshops that you do. And I've even gone back and looked at some of your workshops and go back to my origin story. I had a great grandmother who like hmm. at the county created businesses all in Washington County. Oh, that's why I want to help create businesses for exactly. Like it's in the DNA. Exactly. We'll get to that. On the resources front, Joey, I know you've got some really interesting 
on the friends and family gap for underrepresented founders. And I kind of want to understand how you're thinking about what are the most impactful resources here in Atlanta to address this gap. Friends and Family Gap is interesting for a number of different reasons. One is that it makes the assumption, well, you have to have friends and family that have some money that can potentially invest in you. But let's forget family for a second. Let's actually talk about friends, because in many cases, you can't choose your family. Right. That being said, you do have control over friends. And so what I think is interesting is the type of relationships that entrepreneurs, no matter your background, have potentially with people who have the ability to provide cash to you, probably they're not going to expect it back. And we know that in many cases, women entrepreneurs and other diverse entrepreneurs as well don't have access to the type of people that can give them cash with no expectation of return. And so I think what the opportunity to dive a little bit deeper is around why. Do diverse founders, women, founders of color, do they have the same level of respect and trust with people who have money than their counterparts? And I don't think that is talked about enough. The lack of trust that people with capital have, particularly like individuals, have for women entrepreneurs and for diverse founders. They have to ask themselves the question, why don't they trust women founders? And so I think there are some people, though, that are doing things the right way. They're working very hard at it. I think about my good friends at over at Collab Capital who who are thinking about a new model to invest, essentially to help somewhat fill that family and friends gap to a certain extent. I think the bigger opportunity is to not push entrepreneurs into one of two pathways to get money. It's either venture capital or it's just strictly loans. If you're on the second pathway, you've got to have some progress behind. You've got to have some, something to back it up for a, better, for a better way to put it. But what about the middle? And so I like the way that the team over at Collab Capital is thinking about the middle. You also think about programs and various initiatives that are doing equity-free cash awards and grants and things of that nature. And you no, know, do I think that it's sustainable for Amazon and Google to give $100,000, $150,000 to a bunch of founders? No. The answer to that question is no, but I think there are other opportunities to do 10000 50000 or 15000 20000 Also, funds like here in Atlanta, like the Go ATL fund, where they're looking to spin up funds to do anywhere between maybe 250000 to a million dollars to provide capital to entrepreneurs that are in the middle, particularly, to be clear, diverse founders. So women and founders of color, again, that are in that middle. Yeah, those are some very cool initiatives. I'm talking with the Go ATL people running that fund, and we're looking at maybe an opportunity to continue to award micro grants. While you're saying that that fifteen, twenty thousand dollars go out and prove a thesis or prove a prototype, and then go ask for the millions that you need for your seed or the equity free awards, which I definitely want to get into with the Google for startups. But I think it's such an interesting question about trust and how you develop that trust. I'm wondering, what's your diligence process to develop trust? Another way of putting that, that's what I'm trying to develop with the WE program and that getting community partners engaged with the business owners or with the founders to help them on some of their weak spots so that they can they have skin in the game and they can advocate for them. So then that, I think, develops trust. Where do you think others are missing the mark on pipeline development? 
And what do they need to do more of like we're trying to do here? There's, there's two things that jump into my mind and maybe to just, if you were to ask me this question in a few days, perhaps I have a different answer. <laughs> I was going to give you my answer I got today. I think in Atlanta, we try to be team players. We try to work together as well as a team. Are, is there room for improvement? Of course. But I do think there are even more intentional efforts to think about the leadership thing. As a community, there are people that are thinking about, okay, for your subset of this community, what are your priorities and goals? Meaning when I say you as a leader and, and how do they ladder up into the impact that we all want to make? And so again, you can slice and dice communities across a number of different ways, whether it be age, whether it be geography. People say Atlanta, but I think we're intentional about being inclusive of not just people that live within the city limits. Not even maybe the more popular suburbs or surrounding areas, but the entire Atlanta community. We think about it from an industry standpoint and a few others. And so as long as we've identified leaders of sub communities and making sure that they are properly set up for success and making sure they're forward thinking and they have a plan, it puts the entire community forward. Now, another part of that is thinking about developing the next generation of leaders. Time is undefeated. Time is undefeated. And in many cases around community development, oftentimes we hear complaints from younger generations. People aren't passing the torch and so on and so forth. And I think we have enough data from decades of community service that we can start to do something about that. We can be intentional about developing the next generation of leaders. And so what that kind of tactically can look like is creating fellowships for People that want to get into a space, I'm intentionally not saying younger people, but it typically tends to be younger, but you don't have to be younger. But you want to get into this space of leading a community Well, you can get paid a little bit of money to shadow leaders, learn their ways, and then step into their roles. It also forces the current leaders to think about their process of creating impact and also know that you got to get off the train at some point. There's a whole other conversation to be had about what is the professional career journey of a community leader, especially post-impact. That's why people tend to hang on to roles because there's nothing else for them at the end. And so I'm not saying Atlanta has that figured out. We're thinking about it and I am looking forward to what's going to come moving forward. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, especially if you step back, even on a macro level, you're talking about people of color and generationally, some of the strides that were made 40 or 50 years ago, I tell people all the time that I'm not a Grady baby, I'm a Maynard baby, because I remember growing up with Mayor Jackson. I remember feeling as a five, six, seven year old, this is really special and he's awesome. And I truly believe the program that I run is a direct line from him planting those seeds. That was 50 years ago. And and I think that we're developing our, our own leaders in this generation, but there does need to be a smooth handoff because policy and advocacy and making sure fellowships and resources and things are in place to continue the flow of information are critical. Exactly. Absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I definitely want you to touch on the origin story. I think that's like a, one of the things that's your secret sauce. Like I love when you do that workshop for founders that are considering Atlanta. I think you just talk a lot about why you think that's such a critical part of the founder's story or narrative or journey. I am originally from Alabama, right? My, my father grew up in Africatown, which is where the last slaves that came to this country landed and, and created a community. And so he's a community activist, making sure people in that neighborhood don't get treated the wrong way, especially by companies 
that are bringing in chemicals and things of that nature. My mother is from Montgomery, Alabama, the same neighborhood as MLK when he was living in Montgomery. But so I'm a natural convener of people. Uh, I'm a community builder, ecosystem developer. I launched my first startup when I was at FAMU. Going to my last year of school, I graduated, kept on doing it full time. In the process of building top five in the space, I decided to move to Atlanta. One, because it was Tallahassee North. At that time, everybody moved from FAMU to Atlanta. I had some family, but also it was a great place to build a business. It was my second largest market at the time, but also fastest growing. And so the sense of community, a sense of home, so to speak, with enough people that I could lean on that could provide me support in my growing company, but also a an active revenue base and a ton of potential. And for the past 13 or so years, I've been focused on building community here in Atlanta, but also nationwide for diverse founders and social entrepreneurs from all backgrounds. I think you just answered my last question. Why Atlanta? There it is. There it is. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mr. Lovett. Thank you. Create your network, develop your resources, mentor your impact. Don't forget, defining your outcome and succession planning is key to this preparation for both entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship supporters, step by step. Thank you for listening to Why Atlanta, podcast sponsored and produced by the Women's Entrepreneurship Initiatives of Atlanta. The Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative is a 15-month incubator program funded by the City of Atlanta. We are the only municipally funded program of our kind in the nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of Why Atlanta. Why Atlanta is produced by Pixel Recess at pixelrecess.com. 